you're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hello, welcome to Pardon the Disruption. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. Hey, this is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. And this is Rohan Kapoor. Great. Thanks, guys. Hey, today we're going to talk about a disruption that's happening in the economy. Uh, people talk about this a lot, and it has to do with what is the impact of AI on jobs? You know, you'll hear people say, well, it's going to create an all new jobs. There'll be some disruption for sure. And then you'll hear other end of the spectrum uh, that AI is going to kill jobs. People like Elon Musk and others will talk about that. Specifically, I think when I saw him talk about this last year was around the transportation sector, specifically truck drivers, which is one of the number one jobs in terms of number of jobs, those jobs being eliminated through the automation of vehicles. So what are your guys' thoughts on this this notion? Because I want to revisit this this topic and, and deconstruct a little bit for our audience. Uh, I think it's been, I think in recent years, it's been a net creator of jobs, but that will not last. I think because the hype behind automation was probably sold uh, too much or too much too soon. And I think you know, deploying RPA, deploying AI, all these different types of machine learning algorithms or tools that utilize those technologies, um, if not done correctly, will just create more uh, chaos and complexity into an ecosystem. And you need more attention from human workers to kind of manage those environments. But as this technology kind of really progresses, I think the rate at which we can create new jobs will not really keep up with the rate at which we can automate them. So would you say we're still in the early phases of AI adoption within the economy? Yes. Yeah, I would say the same thing. And I think in those early phases, we're gonna to start to see uh, probably a net job creation uh, and a labor shortage in those new jobs. We see that today in our consulting business, right? Uh, there are more opportunities and there are people to fill them. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big problem, especially when you're talking about the supply of people with the skill sets to actually do this stuff. Um, I saw the other day MIT is investing heavily, I think a billion dollars into um, new educational programs to train people in AI and um, a lot of the automation jobs. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, I think the, the net result is not positive, especially when you're looking at these low skill workers, think three, three and a half million truck drivers in the US. And how, where are they going to go when their trucks are automated, uh, you have autonomous lorries, what are they gonna be doing? Um, where are they gonna go? What are the jobs that are gonna be available to them? And it's scary. I think it's an important point because uh, we can go all the way back to the 1800s with the Luddites when we started to see technological uh, revolutions through mechanization, in this case of textiles in England, Ned Ludd, who led the Luddite revolution was basically saying that technology was destroying jobs. And in economics, they would teach this concept called the Luddite fallacy that said for sure jobs would be impacted by technology, but that, that it would be a net positive in the long term, right? So that things would, would shift around. And that's been true for almost 200 years. The issue is it will come a point where it's not true. And I think, my, my hypothesis is that it will not be true for two reasons. One is the prior innovations that we've had in this society were analog innovations. 
So when I mechanize a farm worker or I mechanize a factory worker or a textile worker, I have to build something, I have to scale it out, I have to engineer it, I have to deploy it, I have to maintain it. And there's a speed at which that can happen. It can't happen overnight. It takes, in some cases, decades for those things to manifest. And it allows people to have time to adjust. So you'll see people move out of uh, places that are impacted from the agrarian and industrial economy through the Rust Belt, moving into service sectors and higher paying jobs. And it's been a net positive for the industry. So in B school, they'll teach the Luddite fallacy. But then the issue becomes, when is it no longer true? And the, the term, the Luddite fallacy fallacy, which is a point which this is no longer true. What's your sense, Bart? What do you think? Well, I think uh, if you look at the large-scale economic trends, the some of the analog innovations you mentioned in the 1800s, and if you think about the rise and prosperity of the middle class in the 20th century, you could kind of see a trend of productivity in the economy rising with um, more disposable income in the pockets of average wor- aver- the average working class or you know blue-collar class, as some would call it, person. And I think as um, large companies start to adopt um, AI technologies on a larger scale, you're going to see more of this trend that's already happening where productivity rises just continue to lead to um, more wealth concentration because the decreasing labor component of more productivity means that that disposable income is not only not no longer increasing in the pockets of the average worker, but it's decreasing, and I think it's going to be decreasing at a more rapid rate as these te- proportional to the rate at which these technologies are adopted. So, how do you, um, if if we're moving towards a, a, a society where there's going to be a net loss in job creation because of these technological advancements, how how do you? You can't protect against it, but what do you do? Uh, is it down? Is it a personal thing where you have to say, from a development standpoint, you've now got to get comfortable with the fact that retraining and reskilling is going to be a norm, and you're not going to be able to sit in a job for thirty years and just kind of sit on the bench and be hidden? Yeah, I, I think that's one element of it for sure. And there's going to be a lot, some of those residual jobs to manage this complex technology. Um, but I think the, probably the broader concern in the longer term is. Um, you know how much of how much reskilling can you do when this the skills gap is too large for what will probably be a decent portion mm. of the population? Just the difference in what that job used to be versus what managing the technology that now does that job is like, and what skills but it requires. In, in the past, again, you know, you could say the the in the agrarian culture, it took about a hundred years for you know, basically an agrarian society, the, the basically the family farm to convert over to what we see today. That took a long time and it wasn't overnight. It happened in waves. The industrial revolution is probably in terms of the mechanization of what happened there. First, a lot of factory workers show up and then those workers were replaced by mechanized lines. That probably say took like say 30 years. And those are generational time windows. It allows people to re-educate themselves and to change and to move up and move into more higher-paying jobs. So more people go to college today and learn uh, white-collar jobs, which tend to be higher-paying than the blue-collar jobs. But I think there gets to a point in time where we have to recognize that the pace of change, once we pivot to digital, and we see this in a lot of nonlinear technologies, the pace of digital 
exceeds the ability of our society, whether it be us individually, because we're limited by our biology, or us societally and economically, because we're limited by the social constructs that we have, to adjust fast enough to compensate and adjust for those disruptions that we're seeing. So in the early phases of AI, that's why I asked TJ the question earlier, do we think we're in the early stages? And I think the answer we would probably all agree to is, yeah, we are in the early stages. Yes. So we're not seeing the major disruptions that are likely. We're seeing early indications of those disruptions. And it's actually creating, I would say, argue a job shortage. But it's a short-term false indicator of what the long-term impact is going to be. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you also see we're flooded. Like the, I think the jobs report came out in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, and it was, you know, another huge uptick in uh, hu- well, a huge reduction in the unemployment rate. So many jobs created. Um, I guess that you're going to see that number gradually go down, or is it going to be a drop off the cliff? There's going to be a shift in job types, but uh, so McKinsey kind of revisits the whole topic of automation, digital labor, AI, in terms of its economic impact every few years. I think in 2017, they partnered with UC Berkeley to put out kind of a a study on, uh, that kind of shifted the way they looked at the impact it will have on jobs. Instead of looking at just jobs as it stands today and then look at how jobs will shift in the future, they were looking at tasks, like activities, the types of tasks that could be automated by today's technology. So they're, and they're not saying, uh, sometimes they come out with a forecast saying, hey, by 2025, we say this many trillion dollars worth of economic impact will happen because of automation. This time around, they didn't really put a timeline to it. They just said, based on the activities that we perform, about half of all activities can be automated by today's technology. So that percentage can go up in the future, but regardless of job that uses different flavors of different activities, half the activities can be automated. So that has to be addressed. The question of the companies or the industry's abilities to restructure what those different jobs are made up of those different You can reshuffle the deck, but at the end of the day, the totality of the deck will be half as much. Right. So think, think about our consulting gigs that we've done, right? So we go in and we deploy automation. And the, you know, one of the first learnings that we have is that no automation that's out there in today's market for the most part, and there's obviously there's gonna be exceptions to this, but for the most part, no automation technologies are replacing a knowledge worker 100%. What they're replacing are, what TJ said, a portion of the tasks that they do. So if I look at a 40 hour work week, I may be able to take eight hours, 12 hours, 20 hours of work and compress that down to a digital output by a bot or an AI and save myself a lot of time. Now, what we're finding then is what are they going to do with the rest of their time? And how are you going to restack the work? And what skills do you need to fill that time up with more important stuff? And so we're seeing that, to cre- and, I, and I think what's happening right now is that's creating a net job creation in the short term. So the unemployment rate, I throw up, this, up on the screen, you guys can see it up here. It's important to understand the way that the U.S. government reports unemployment. So the official unemployment rate is a measure from the Bureau of Labor Statistics called U3. And roughly what it means, and I'll probably get the definition not exactly right, is it's people collecting unemployment under unemployment insurance. 
So it's the number of people divided by the number of workers. So it's it's, it's a measure of the people collecting un, uh, unemployment benefits relative to workers. So if you're not if you've given up, you're frustrated. Uh, that's U five. So they add U five. It adds about almost a full point to the unemployment. These are people who have tapped out, whose unemployment insurance has gone beyond whatever it is, 99 weeks or whatever the limit is. And that's a higher number. It's people just say, I can't, I can't, I'm never going to get another job. And so they're, they're not in there. So the, it's important to look at workforce participation. Right. Would, as, that, would that include like uh, early retirees? It could. You, you, you can't ascribe motive in some of these things. It's just simply saying... Mechanically, U3 is number of people collecting unemployment insurance, and you have to do some proofs to get that insurance, right? You have to get that benefit divided by the number of workers. And that ratio is, the, is U3. U, uh, U5, there's, there's, I think, six measures. I, I'm just going to talk about the important ones. U5 is it adds the people who have tapped out on the unemployment insurance, so that's another point. But then U6 is the broadest measure, and it measures underemployment. So people who are employed in the, in the denominator, in the case of the ratio, who are underemployed. Maybe they're working part-time. Maybe they're working as a, a waiter. Maybe you have a mm -hmm. chemical engineer who's stocking shelves, right? And so th that's the broadest measure. And if you look up on the screen, and you, know, you can go look these things up on the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but... Um, We've been tre trending down since the end of the last recession, right? And, and what's interesting, if we go to look at workforce participation next to this, that's been going down since 2000. And then just recently it ticked up the last two quarters. It's gone up a little bit. But I also, I think it's a little bit of a false indicator. My sense is, I, you know, go back to, we're, we're talking today, we're trying to get a sense of answering this question. Will the technologies that we're talking about we talk about pardon the disruption, the disruptive technologies, will they ultimately disrupt to the point where they are a net destroyer of jobs? Not, 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 not that will new jobs be created. They absolutely, new jobs are going to get created. Are they going to be created in greater numbers than the jobs that are being eliminated right. or obsoleted? And I'll, I'll leave you with one other concept you guys can talk about this on this point. Half the people have an IQ of 100 or less. And if I were to say that in terms of agrarian culture or industrial culture where people had to work in a factory or you know physical labor, if I said half the people had a maximum strength capability of, of XYZ, you would, you would say, as the jobs required you to be stronger and stronger, you just simply don't have that physical capability. Well, IQ would suggest in knowledge work, you have to have a certain mental capability to move up the cognitive curve. Half the people, by definition, are at 100 or less. And in today's advanced economy, you can imagine what a struggle it is for somebody who has, a, say, a 90 IQ to be able to get a good job, uh, make enough money to buy a house, have a family. You know, they could probably do it in certain things, but it's a struggle. And so when we talk about the new jobs, you have to think about the fact that there are limits to 
people's ability to train up. I mean, think about the training that we've gone through to do some of the things. Do you think everybody can do it? Yeah, it's twofold, right? And, and we talk about this a lot, the whole attitude and aptitude. Uh, probably not is the truth, the honest answer. And then it's a case of, well, who's going to step in? And when it becomes a really big issue, um, who's going to step in and, and help these people and how are they going to help them? Because they can't just, it's not a case of offering them the training if the training is going to fall on incapable ears, right? Um, and, and if we're talking about net job increase or net job loss, uh, there's a point at which, as these machines advance, and we are still early in this whole bot, automation, AI trend, uh, there's a point at which we cross where as a new job is created, a job being, I have a set of things I need to get done and I need someone to fill that job so it's completed. There's a point at which training a bot or some AI system or some algorithm to do that job, if it's assuming it's more of a, a soft job, something that's a knowledge work on a computer, it'll be easier to train or use you know, computer tools, digital tools to complete that job or to have that job satisfied rather than training a worker. Right now, humans are very, very adaptable, I mean, in comparison to kind of rigid robotics. So it's cheaper in the short term to train an unskilled worker, unskilled beforehand, to go learn a new task. But as these tools advance, as new things are needed to be done, if I'm a business owner, I'm just going to train a robot to do it. So even if it's a net job increase in terms of, oh, we're going to do more things as a species, as a company, I won't even look at a human. Humans need not apply. Hmm. Yeah, because it's a one-off investment in training that, that right. robot versus right now we right now we excel in terms of the uh, achieving a plateau on the learning curve, and robots can optimize way past us in very very narrow circumstances. But as they kind of fill the gaps between those narrow, uh, steep inclines, it'll change the way that we look at. Hey, uh, I need to staff this new operation for this new job. Mm. Right, and those those um, software protocols may begin solving problems that are so complex that it's not a matter of it's more efficient or cost effective to deploy that technology rather than training a person. But and you talk about this a lot, Tom. The person can't even participate in the ecosystem of solving that problem in the new way that it's now solved, um, doing it with technology. And I would also argue we're seeing early indications. Uh, from a government policy perspective of a recognition that people on the back half of the curve here have to be supported through some sort of wealth transfer or welfare. Right. So I don't know what the percentage is, but something like half the people are being having their income subsidized by the government, either through Social Security, through welfare, through uh, indirect subsidies and payments. And I, my, my sense is that's going to increase. It's not going to decrease. And in fact, we see the discussion uh, at, some, at some level when it first was introduced, I thought it was a joke, but it's not a joke anymore. The notion of universal basic income. People are really seriously talking about it as a means of dealing with this issue. Because we see in digital markets a concentration of wealth that is as a result of the fact that I need less people, less labor, to complete a product for a good and service. So think of, we use Netflix, Netflix uh, Blockbuster example. In order for, if you, and you think of Blockbuster as bricks and mortar store with 
agents working in the or clerks working in the store, stocking the shelves, maintaining the the building, uh, the drivers who are getting stuff to and from there. And you compare that to digital streaming services. If I had 60,000 people working, I now have 6,000. It's just physically less jobs because it's digital. I, I, can, I can transmit it out. I don't need that physical infrastructure. And so we're going to start to see that challenge. And that's why I think universal basic income is, is being discussed. We're going to have to do this. So we're seeing early indications of us addressing the fact that people are, are, are struggling at the back half of this curve. I think also we've focused, we've, the talk is very US-centric. The, uh, the discussions we've had about you know U.S. lorry drivers, but imagine going to somewhere like India where you have, you know. Did you just say lorry? Lorry. Is that like a taxi? It's a no. Lorry is a UK term for truck. What? Oh really? Oh, truck. Okay, I wasn't sure what that meant. Yeah, lorry. lorry I actually drivers. guessed taxi in my head too for whatever reason. No, it's yeah. a, the U.S. speech coming in, but in countries <laughs> like India where you have know, three hundred million people, same size as the entire population of the U.S who don't have access to electricity. And now you're talking about some really rapid advancements in, in the tech uh, deployments in, in that country. That's gonna be insane, the gap that's gonna be widened there. And right. that's, a, that's an even bigger issue that people may not even, because it's hard enough for people to imagine what we're talking about in an emer a developed country like the US. But imagine you take the same technological changes which are happening in, in uh, here as, in India, which it's definitely happening at a rapid pace. That's a huge problem. But also the other side of that spectrum is also right. equally interesting. So, you know, take this to an extreme for a very developed nation like the US. The, think about the way we measure or regard, you know, economic prosperity. So this measure we're talking about, U3, U5, U6, we, we want that percentage to be as low as possible because we need people to show up to work mm -hmm. and continue working. If you look at the country as a, a country as a whole, Shouldn't prosperity, a measure of prosperity, be you know looked at in terms of you know if we can get more done with automated machines at a cheaper rate, shouldn't the whole the wealth of the nation increase as a whole? Yeah, right. I mean, it, we would be better off if the work that we had to do in totality could be augmented more so by the machines that we produce. The issue that the issue becomes that we, the individual, is left on the wayside. Right. So the right. point you brought up before is what we're going to have to talk about around the extreme wealth concentration. We think it's bad today. We think it's worse in India today. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be even close to what it will be in the future mm. as this job impact progresses. And, and and by the way, it's accelerating fast. I don't have the statistics handy, but you know the the amount of wealth concentrated in the top ten people, um, even as much as five years ago, it was dozens of people. Now it's in the top ten. Right. So I. I, I'm going to leave two more points because we're getting to the end of our, our time block here. Uh, and, and we'll just discuss these briefly and maybe we'll use them for a future topic. But one is the notion that we talk about the progress of automation or mechanization or limiting the drudgery of work as, as a good thing. And I think there's a, a sense, at least within the worker community, et cetera, yeah, we'd love to see that happen. But at some point, is our purpose as humans and do we want people to have something productive to do to work in a sense? If we think of work as drudgery, then, then, then it's probably no, but at some level, what's our purpose if we're not working or contributing? 
do we think we can have a purpose if it's all life of leisure? Well, I think I would say that you need some kind of purpose in that way. I think the difference here is that how much freedom do you have to define that purpose? Yeah. The last point I'll ask you guys about is, and just think about this, is, you know, we're free to say whatever we want here, right? I mean, no one's putting a gun to our head saying, say it this way or say it that. So I want your guys' opinion. But if it was a net job destroyer, and you look at people like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or a politician, would they even be in a f- position to say th- to say the truth? Or do they have to say, oh, this is all going to be good for everybody? They're going to be winners for sure. There's no issue about that. The, yep. is- the issue is would they be able to even tell the truth? Because I think when I talk about this with people, and I've been talking about this for years, because my supposition over the last five or six years is that the job destruction is coming. I just I can't speak with assurity is exactly when, but it's coming. And people will point to, you know, all these high-ranking people in the industry and polit- politics saying, no, 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 it's a good that. And then they look at the recent reports and they'll see it's getting better. And I'm not disputing that it is getting better in the short term and the people are saying those things. I'm simply saying that if what my point of view is true, would people be even free to say it in today's society? You're not going to hear those industry tycoons proposing new socialist right. not, policies. Not from those guys, but I think there's some smart people out there. Like I don't think Sam Harris pulled any punches in his TED talk on AI from a couple of years back, no. and he doesn't seem to have a, a horse in the race the same way those guys do, at least. The people who said that it's going to be a net job destruction, because I I pay attention to this, because I'm looking for people who support my hypothesis, obviously, uh, would be Sam Harris, and I would encourage people to go to the TED talk to listen to to that. And again, he doesn't he talk about the time. He talks about the eventuality. Mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking, who's passed this past year, but he was also saying that it was going to be a net destro- destroyer. Uh, and Bill Gates and Elon Musk, they've all said the same thing. And Musk was uh, the, probably the most stark and most, but that's his Yeah, yeah the exchange with Zuckerberg, right? And uh, so we, we, we can't get into that. This is a big topic. This is going to creep up. And today's, you know, we just had this huge jobs report. People are looking the other way. But I think this is coming. Yeah. It's also going to be, it's going to turn into more of a politically charged debate because we quickly get into, I mean, I think personally, I mean, I'm not a fan of these policies today, as you may know, if you know me personally, but I think it's almost inevitable that we have to kind of absorb and implement more socialist policies Mm -hmm. in the future if we want peace for the common man. But again, it's going to turn into a heated political debate between those policies, how extreme they are, and when it makes sense to implement them, like universal basic income. Right. The political battle there will be, this is a different state of society that we're in right. now proposing these ideas. It's not the same thing it was before. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll be a tough sell for some people, um, just yeah. kind of in society. You'll see more extreme progressive tax rates to subsidize the UBI right. systems. And then that might even polarize our political landscape even more than today, right? Well, I think with the whole discussion, it's around, hey, uh, th- this person's not working. And I'm subsidizing his house, right. his home, his life. Right. You know, so that that's all as a discussion that, for another day. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to leave you to think about. So let's put that on our agenda to, to discuss UBI at some point in the future. As what would that look like? How would that manifest? And uh, this is, an, is a obviously a politically charged topic. We're never going to cover it in a 
20 plus minute uh, discussion here. But we wanted to introduce this notion and let people start thinking that it might not all be uh, sugar plums and roses. There could be a long-term storm on the horizon. And the issue is we want people to start thinking about it and start looking for early solutions. Because I think if we wait to see uh, the effects of the disruption in a negative sense, it'll be too late. I think it might be too late as it exists, but I, I, the earlier we discuss this, I think the better off we are societally. Yeah, and if people want to post comments on on their thoughts on even the opposing argument, um, be interesting to see what, what the listeners think on, on the uh, the opposing yeah. side as well as this side that we presented. So Rohan, we have a meeting, we have a meetup coming up in New York on this topic. Yep, so we've got a meetup coming on the 23rd. Um, we've got a really cool special guest for that. Um, CTO of IBM Watson is going to be there, Rob. Hi. Um, and we're going to have a debate about um, the winners and losers in this digital revolution. So it's going to be televised live. It's going to be in New York City if anyone's around. And um, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. This yeah. is obviously will be a continuing conversation. So any parting thoughts from everybody? Yeah. That's good. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain. the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.